Hello and welcome. I'm Riley Risto. And I'm Shiloh Logan. We started Latter-day Contemplation to largely explore and document our journey of study and faith as we seek to become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are by no means experts in anything that we're going to be talking about, but what we do have is an openness to questions, a hunger to discover truth wherever we can find it, and a desire to live a life of peace for ourselves, our families, and our community. We love that you are here, and we hope that you find value in this discussion to enhance and strengthen your own discipleship of Jesus Christ. So, Riley, we have a really fascinating, interesting, amazing episode lined up. Yeah, uh, well, for more than one reason, we we're going to have some changes that we'll introduce, but we're also going to discuss a topic that is near and dear, I think, to both of us in, in what we've been studying the last year or so um, in a dedicated fashion, and that is another Beatitudes topic. Absolutely. And we'd like to introduce to the show, Christopher Hurtado. Hello, Christopher. Hello. Christopher is one of our expert residents that we like to go to. But in this matter, Christopher does not consider himself an expert at all. In fact, when I asked him to be on the contemplation, he's like, this is this is not my uh, regular skill set. But thank you for being on on anyway. That's why I'm here. I'm here because you love me. I know that. I need this. Absolutely. <laughs> well, in greater news, one of the things that makes this episode so great is that for me as one of the co-hosts of the show is that I will be stepping away soon, in fact, after after this episode, because I am going out and pursuing, I got accepted into a graduate program in religious studies, and so I'm going to be going full-time with my graduate studies, and I'm a little bit scared. And so part of this episode is to introduce you to Christopher, because we've asked him and he's graciously accepted to be the new co-host to Stand in My Place with Riley. Which we're tremendously excited about. So for this episode, let's talk a little bit just about each one of us and what brings us to contemplation. What what brings out this for us that we even want to be on this show, that we're talking about this? Now, Riley, you and I have talked a lot about how we are complete novices at this. We don't we don't really know what we're doing. <laughs> this is this is so brand new. This is more of like recording our journey as opposed to standing on any soapbox. Exactly. Yeah, and I'm going to maintain that uh, even after if we're so fortunate to be able to do this effectively for years, even after years of doing this, I'm still going to claim the novice uh, tag because at no point do I want to try to set myself up as someone else's guru uh, for this process because it's so inward focused. Uh, this is a, a podcast that really talks about inner work. And for, for someone on the outside of that to try to determine what's best for someone else, is, uh, it's an anathema. It doesn't work at all. I, I wanted to actually just get back to... Uh, Christopher again and just say, Christopher, what what is it that draws you to the idea of coming on this podcast? And what is your background? Because some of our listeners don't know you unless they've listened to the Latter-day Peace Studies podcast, the Come Follow Me podcast that Shiloh's done with Ben. But uh, why don't you just make a quick intro of yourself and, and then we can kind of go from there. Sure. You know, as a, as a philosopher, I'm, I'm trained as a philosopher and I've spent years while well, studying philosophy, teaching philosophy. And having been already predisposed toward it by nature, an analytical thinker, I, I've been um, interested in exploring more of the contemplative side, the feeling side, the experiential side of things. And I've actually begun that journey before I was asked to do this. 
And Shiloh knows that, of course. And I've found great benefit for myself, and I'd like to continue in that same vein and to join you, Riley, in sharing my own journey. Again, not as a guru. And I was thinking along the same lines as you this morning. You know, Riley, I was thinking, not only am I not enlightened or a Buddha or an expert at this now, I never will be. I know that, you know, as a as a lifelong learner, I know that. And as much as there have been people that have helped us through this journey, I think they would say the same thing. I've got a few people that I follow and have had extensive conversations with that they would say the exact same thing. And they've got many years on me. And so anyone that's listening that might think oh, we're going to we're gonna get the lowdown on contemplation from these guys, uh, I hate to disappoint. That's really not what this is about. This is really just sort of chronicling our own journey and hoping that somewhere along the way you might be able to get some tools that would be helpful for you or some suggestions that might be helpful for you in your own journey. And that's the way it's worked for me, and we hope that that's how it works for you as well. Yes. I think in moving forward, one of the things that really stuck out to me initially from, from contemplation, I was already on the road to having this this problem. In fact, it was a friend of mine, Kenneth Boo, and I have to attribute <laughs> attribute this to him. I was I was arguing in some political Facebook group, and it was like some kind of Mormon-based political group. And you know, the topic of Zion came up, and people were arguing about what it meant to be in Zion. <laughs> the greatest <laughs> the irony. irony of all things, right? And so we were uh, so we were arguing, and and my buddy he got on there, and and I have to paraphrase because I don't remember exactly what he said. But it was something to the nature and effect of here y'all are talking about all these things about God and nobody here is experiencing him. He's like, this is this is a really ridiculous conversation. I love Kenneth Boo. I know. <laughs> Anyone who knows him loves him. He's an amazing man. And I remember just kind of sitting with that and I read that comment over and over and over again. And it was one of those just very simple comments that just struck deep because I started to recognize that for all the talking about God that I can do, all the truth claims, all the apologetics, all the trying to defend the truth, as it were, I was never encaptured into the awe of God. And so I wanted to be able to start to explore that a little bit more and to see what was there present for me. And it wasn't too much longer after that, that I was in church and there was a story that that someone from church had started to give about an interview. And I've, I've talked about this before already in uh, in a previous episode here about how Christ was giving an interview. And you know, this is just a story. It's a made up story. And he was talking to people about, he said, like, basically, tell me what you know about Jesus Christ. And the first interview he came in, he's like, well, I don't, I don't know anything about him. And he went his way. And the second guy came in and, and Jesus is the interviewer to ask the guy, he says, well, tell me everything you know about Jesus Christ. And this guy went on for hours and he's like, I know this and I know that and I know this and I know that until finally the, the interviewer stops him and was like, Man, that is such great information. Thank you for coming in and talking. And, and so he dismissed him and he brought the third guy in and he asked him the same question. Tell me everything that you know about Jesus Christ, wherein the guy falls down to his knees and recognizes the savior. And this story has been told in general conference before, and it's such a mundane story. And it's so funny how sometimes these mundane stories just hit you so hard one time. And again, it was like that second witness that came along and realizing that I had studied my whole life to be able to talk about God. And I'd been able to talk about it and I could talk, 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 talk. But if you actually got me down to trying to explain or focus on or deliver or help lead someone to experiencing God and for me to be experiencing God, not just going through the motions of experiencing uh, 
the actions, or as it were, of like doing the gospel, but I wasn't actually living the gospel. And I wanted to experience and live the gospel, like, like the taste, the salt of the gospel, as it were. And I wasn't doing that. And contemplation for me became the most powerful way that I was able to identify a way of actually experiencing gospel than I ever had before. So that's kind of what contemplation has meant for me is coming into this way of getting rid of all of my ideas about what I think about things and just actually just sitting down and having God present himself there. And then from that, from that relationship with God, seeing what is there present for me and how I can then become present for someone else. So that's really one of the reasons why I've, I've been so excited about this, uh, this podcast and why I've enjoyed it so much and excited to see where it goes in the future. So Riley, what brought you onto the show? Why did you initially commit to this? And what is your relationship to podcast? What did it for you? Well, a few years back, a friend of mine who, you know, held high church callings and and whatnot, uh, had what people tend to call a crisis of faith. But for him, I wouldn't call it that. And um, it was it was more that crisis of meaning within the faith. Uh, what is this? What does this mean for me? What the, you know, what is this doing for me? Is, is it actually accomplishing all of its stated goals, or am I just kind of going along to get along? Am I climbing some hierarchical ladder? And I really related to what he was talking about in a strong way. And so we have a a very good relationship, good strong friendship, and so we've continued. Uh, talking with each other through this um, this journey, and and so for me, it's very much along those same lines of the difference between uh, presence, which is necessarily in the present. What is in the present? The presence of God versus the, the maybe the knowledge of God or uh, the concept or the abstract of God. I'm, I'm less interested in the abstract of God than I am in the experience and the presence of God. And that's been a a metamorphosis over the last few years. And so when you came along and introduced this idea to me, I was always a, I was already a few years into that process. And it just I'm like, yeah, if I can help anyone else understand that there's uh, maybe a third way, you know, um, between complete rejection of spirituality as nothing but you know control and hierarchy, or orthodox um, religion that maybe teaches a lot of truths, but doesn't actually give you the experience of necessarily living the truth or living the experience of being one with God. Kind of that third way in between there is is to experience God and be moved to action as a result of that experience being in the presence. And so that's kind of where I've tried to aim my my bow and arrow, so to speak. And, and that's where it's taken me is coming along to this podcast and and just more experimentation. I, I, my favorite scripture from the Book of Mormon has always been in Alma 32. When I was baptized, I randomly, oh, I was in the changing room getting ready to be baptized with my friend who baptized me. And we, he said, hey, you want to open up some scriptures before you go in there and be baptized? I'm like, yeah, sure. That sounds good. So he opened up and I opened up two separate sets of scriptures. And kind of serendipitously, we both ended up on Alma 32. And uh, as we were reading that, we turned to each other and said, okay, you tell me what you're reading and I'll tell you what I'm reading. And we, we were reading the exact same thing. And it was essentially those verses that talk about experimenting upon the word. And that's been a bit of a mantra for me throughout my life in, uh, as a member of the church anyway, the last 22, 22 years, 23 years, is um, experimenting upon the word. And I, I, 
I went through a period of time where that meant memorizing stuff and, and, you know, trying to defend positions and whatnot and teasing, you know, uh, meaning, uh, and etymology out of words from the scriptures, which I still kind of enjoy a little bit, admittedly. Um, but now it's something different. Experimenting upon the word has a completely different meaning for me now. Now it's experimenting with prayer and experimenting with how I study and how I try to commune with God. And so all those things coming together is, for me, where my contemplative journey has taken me. That's awesome. Now, Christopher, we have already, uh, you've already kind of given us a little snippet about how and why you came into contemplation, why you came onto the podcast. But for, uh, you know, you and I were great friends. We live next to each other, uh, relatively live in the same city in California, and our families see each other a lot. So we get a lot of opportunity to talk. But what is your journey? What brought you to contemplation and what got you to studying things? Because you do, you study Thomas Merton and you've studied Rohr and you've gone in to listen to some James Finley before and and these kinds of contemplative thinkers. But what was it that really drew you into this? What what was your first exposure to it and and what was your journey into having this find any value and what value have you found in it? I have no idea. I really don't remember. I read a lot. I let one book lead me to the other, to the next. I trust in that process. It really is a spiritual practice for me. I recently learned that I'm not the only one. I know that Alan Watts once asked Joseph Campbell what kind of meditation he practiced, and he said, I underlined sentences. And I just got a good chuckle out of that, and I really felt like I could relate to that. I can't even remember where I found my copy of Thomas Keating's book that I read last night and reread this morning. I, It's been on my shelf for years. I've been meaning to read it. had a conversation about Centering Prayer last night. And without knowing that Centering Prayer was covered in that book, I just felt to read it last night after having that conversation. And there it was. A couple of essays on, uh, I think there were speeches that were put into book form on Centering Prayer. The Seven-Story Mountain by Thomas Merton called to me from a used bookstore bookcase, which, you know, there are stories like that, that these things happen. I, I remember there's a story of um, Nietzsche, you know, who uh, was in a bookstore, and Schopenhauer's book fell on his head and fell open to a certain page and changed his life. And if I got that wrong, it was the other way around, but one of those guys had the book of the other guy fall on his head. And uh, so that's that's what it's like sometimes. Uh, I have not been hit on the head, but I have. Uh, I've been hit in the heart, that's for sure. And, you know, and with all my studies of, you know, as a philosopher, I know you, you and I both studied philosophy of religion. We had to, to get our philosophy degrees. And no experience I've got of God I've ever had has had anything to do with any of that. There's theology and then there's theophany. And an experience of God is nothing like arguing about God's nature in any way, shape, or form, whether whether it's the kind of philosophical argument where nobody's feelings get hurt, or whether there are people actually arguing on Facebook about what Zion is like. And you know, that that experience you shared from Zion, it, it reminded me of a quote I love from Marcus Aurelius from his Meditations, aptly named uh, Meditations, which, you know, wasn't a title he gave it, but the title that we've chosen for it or as the French have called it, pensée, you know, the, the thoughts, the, well, meditations. Marcus Aurelius says, stop arguing about what it means to be a good man and be one. 
So I've spent so many years, you know, invested so many years, so much of my time and in, in thought and reading and lecturing on not not always philosophy of religion, not necessarily philosophy of religion, but in a philosophical approach, teaching philosophy and thinking of things systematically and in principles and logically and analytically. And like Riley, having my spiritual practice, that being separate, still come up lacking in some sense uh, in terms of the experience that, experiences that it produces. And it's not that it didn't produce experiences. There, there are epiphanies that happen that are unexpected. You get glimpses. And I know, I know those, um, those experiences that I've had have been real. They've been more real than anything I've been able to analyze or cogitate. And I've had them sitting in church. I've had them hiking in nature. And man, I sure as heck had one on uh, climbing a rock wall when, when the wall and everything, I want to say everything disappeared. But it's not really that everything disappeared, but rather that the distinction between me and it and, and all of it disappeared. And I didn't know this when it was happening, right? It's like when, it's like when I meditate, if I ever get to that place that, that you get with meditation where it's something that you don't know when it's happening to you, you only know it when you come out of it and you realize, oh, I was just there. So I, I had this experience of flashing this, this climb and coming to the top and realizing, oh, there's the sun is shining the birds are chirping someone's belaying me i just climbed up this wall all of that was all of that was lost to me i was lost in it it was just an incredible experience and that to me is an is an example of a spiritual experience it's not the only kind but it certainly was a spiritual experience for me and i i look for those experiences and i I don't always find them uh, in church. I don't, and and it, and I do find them in church, but I don't always find them only in church. And I, I especially find them in nature. And so I'm looking for opportunities to to experience God, to have those kind of experiences, to bring practices into my daily routine. Whether it be getting out and hiking, whether it be journaling, whether it be meditating, whether it be praying and and learning, I've learned that there are different kinds of prayer, that there's not just one way to pray that can bring me those experiences. And and it's been, the, the fruit has been sweet. And so I look forward to continuing in that practice and that journey and sharing it with you, uh, with the listeners, uh, along with, um, with Riley. And I, I guess, you know, I, I, we will, we'll hear from you from time to time, Shiloh, in some way, I guess we'll We'll have to let everybody know how you're doing. I know that you intend to continue this practice too. I understand how you feel about your graduate work. That is uh, quite daunting. I myself am faced with the same dilemma of, you know, how do I spend time on this and that and the other? And so, but, you know, I'm glad to be able to do this. I'm glad to be able to, to, be, to, to put myself in a position where I'm accountable to my co-host, to Riley, to my listeners to continue in the, the practice that I so desperately need because I really do, you know, I have issues with, with wanting to be in control of things that are not in my control. And I've studied Stoicism and I've studied Buddhism. And the message, by the way, is very similar, if not the same, and there may have been some influence there. And, and I understand intellectually what's in my control and what's not in my control. 
but I need to deepen my practice and my experience of that since just knowing is not enough. Knowing at the level of I read a book and I understood what I read just doesn't cut it. I need the experience of being able to let go. Yeah, letting go is not my forte. Let's put it that way. So it's good to be here. Well, I I like that you're talking about this, Chris, because I think that this will actually flow really uh, well into our discussion topic about mourning because really it's about relating to something directly, experientially. Someone else's pain and we're trying to relate to that, right? I mean, it's kind of the same thing. Instead of just learning about what it means to go through adversity, we're actually entering into the experience of adversity with someone else. I, I think that's a good maybe entry point. I have a question to try to introduce this point, and maybe not a question. Let me let me just bring up a scripture, and you guys can tell me what this does for you. Romans twelve fifteen says, "Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn." What does that bring to mind for you? Obviously, rejoicing if someone else is experiencing joy, it might be easier to share in that joy with them. But uh, mourning with those who mourn, being somewhat equated with rejoicing with those who rejoice, it's it's more about a methodology or an experience of a how-to than it is about saying they're the same thing. Rejoicing and mourning are not the same thing. But how do we treat them the same? They're not the same thing. And yet it strikes me that I'm so glad you brought this up. You know, it strikes me that rejoicing with those that rejoice can be instructive when it comes to mourning with those with mourn, because sometimes people are excited about something that's meaningful to them. So this is a positive thing. Mourning isn't positive. Rejoicing is positive in, in, in some sense. And what's important to them is not necessarily important to us. That's what's similar, right? Someone may be mourning over something that, that's important to them and it's not important to us, just like someone may be rejoicing over something that's important to them and is not important to us. And yet we can enter into their world. We can take the time. We can stop, listen, reflect, right? We can take a moment of pause and be present to what is important to them, whether they're rejoicing or mourning, and experience, have an experience of our own humanity by coming into contact with theirs and, and give them the gift of the same experience of, of their own humanity and seeing them and in recognizing them in, their, in whatever they're rejoicing or mourning over. What I loved about this quote is that they're so different, rejoicing and mourning, and yet the process is the same. Yeah. It's about entering into a communion with another person that you may or may not have a vested interest in. It's not implied. But yet the process uh, of how we go about communing with that person would be the same, whether it's a positive principle or a negative principle. And when I was reading that, the thing that came to mind was an interview that Bruce Lee gave. And I remember a snippet of it. And in that snippet, he said, be like water. And he said, take the shape of whatever vessel you're poured in. He said, water, if it's poured into a cup, it becomes a cup. If it's poured into a bowl, it becomes a bowl. Be formless, be shapeless, be adaptable, make yourself vulnerable. And he kind of equates that to flow state, which is very, you know, kind of an appropriate metaphor because water flows. And so what do you think about the idea of equating this communion with other people in whatever positive or negative feelings they're experiencing in a moment, equating that somehow with being like water? What do you think about that? 
That's pretty cool, you know, and, and I think when it comes to those things that that are important to others that may not be important to us, and by the way, we can get access to the actual importance of these things through the eyes of others if we if we allow ourselves to to look, we can see. And so that that brings up the point of the humility that's necessary for us to have. You know, we have to be humble enough to to listen and to give enough importance to our fellow man, whoever it may be. This may not be someone who's close to us. It may be anyone. Jesus certainly was willing to, to mourn with anyone mourning and to rejoice with anyone rejoicing and has asked us to do the same in following him. It really would take some humility, wouldn't it? It takes humility and it takes the willingness to listen and to listen deeply and you know, I have to admit, this is again, this is not my forte. You know, to be a, uh, I'm not known as a good listener, but I've experienced. You know, I can think as 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 recently as yesterday, in sitting with my wife and talking with our children, one at a time, about their progress and their studies this semester, and and sharing their testimonies and where they are. That's such an important question. Where are you? Uh, Keating brings that up in the book I mentioned earlier. That's the first question. All the way back in Genesis, God asked that question of Adam and Eve, where are you? And I don't have the ability that she has to listen. I'm interested in cultivating that kind of ability to listen. You bring up Jesus and these experiences that he had in in finding communion with people who are going through something, whatever that may be. And in most cases, he didn't know them. And I actually think that's significant because it it highlights the fact that he's taking time out of his day, that he has a certain awareness at all times. And that's really highlighted when the woman grabs the hem of his garment. And doesn't he say something like, I I feel strength flowing out of me? What does he say? What's the exact quote? You remember that part? You know, there's a translation I think says he felt virtue flowing out of him. Virtue. Yeah. But in order to have that level of perception about something that is happening in a moment in the middle of a crowd, crowded throng of people speaks to how aware he was at all times. That's true because a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people were, were touching him. I mean, as you go through a, a crowd, you're rubbing up against people one way or the other. And, and he says, who touched me? And his disciples say, what do you mean who touched you? We're walking through a crowd of people. Yeah, there's people everywhere, hundreds of people thronging you and compassing about, and and yet you feel something go out of you. The level of awareness he had was next level, obviously, but the fact that he takes that moment immediately to stop, kneel down, turn away, like, what is it? Who is this person that uh, virtue flowed out of me and into? And he does the same thing with the woman taken in adultery who's on the verge of being stoned and the woman at the well who's going through her own you know, issues about uh, self-hate or um, self-loathing. And he always just finds that person who's unknown to him at the moment, other than in the godly sense, um, but the person who's going through something and he has this level of perception, empathy, and awareness of what's going on, or at least the willingness to ask what's going on or where are you as you brought up. And so that's something we need to cultivate, right? Yeah, yeah. How many people are there that 
that we're close to in some sense, not, not that we necessarily have to know them well, but that we're around, right? Who do we come in contact, whether it be a clerk at a store or, you know, not people that we know, just people that we run into that we could be angels to in some sense, right? That we could bear uh, the word of God to as, as his messengers in bringing them the peace that they are seeking. I say this because I've had the experience of, 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 you know, having that happen that I've, you know, that I've done that, but I just, I don't have the awareness that Jesus had to notice every time. I'm sure there are far more opportunities than I've seen or taken advantage of. But yeah, you know, you get those feelings sometimes. Reach out to so-and-so or listen to this person. And by the way, just, you know, what I've practiced too sometimes, again, I'm not good at it, but there are times that I just say, well, let me listen here. And you just listen and you find that just about anybody you listen to, of course, that which is most personal is most universal right if you get to actually hear someone if you can actually hear someone that you're you're going to identify them with them as a human being because you're human and and nothing human is alien to you as um as i often misquote uh, erasmus as saying and i can't remember who actually said that so one of the things that needs to happen before that though is that you have to be willing to break out of your comfort zone or your circle of comfort or whatever and and be vulnerable to that person who is an opportunity for connection. I mean, I had this opportunity and I think this, that everyone can relate to this of, for instance, pulling off a freeway and seeing someone holding a sign and your eyes meet for a second, that kind of an experience where you know there's an opportunity there and you have a decision point. Right. And and I had that experience a, diff, a little bit different. I was driving in a local road in my hometown and it's pretty rural. And this intersection comes up and there's a gentleman there that I've seen dozens of times in our valley. He's got a pejorative nickname that I'm not too fond of, um, but nevertheless, he's well known in our valley. And, you know, the typical homeless man, long hair, grubby clothes, he's got all his belongings on this cart and he's pushing them down the road and, he's, and he goes and stands on this corner right as my truck pulls up and he puts his thumb up for a ride, right? And I'm like, yeah, why not? You know, I'm, he's probably not going to go that far anyway. And these were my initial thoughts, right? So he, I, I get out and I say, you need a ride? And he just nods, no sound. I put down the bed of my truck and or the uh, tailgate and throw his his hand cart in there and with all his stuff and we raise it back up and he gets in the front seat and I say, well, where are you going? Where are you heading? And he just points and it luckily it's in the direction where I'm going towards my house after work. So I start driving up the road. And I keep communicating with him or trying to communicate. And I, I quickly realize that he's mute. He doesn't speak. Because uh, even questions that are not yes or no questions or, you know, just pointing at something questions, he's just not answering. And so I realized this is a different situation than I had anticipated, but that there was a an opportunity here. And I, I wasn't sure what that was. But it was an opportunity that I knew was going to be unique. So as I continued attempting to communicate with him, sometimes with hand signals or speaking directly to his face in case he can read my lips or uh, or I, I guess he could hear. I have no idea. I have no idea what his situation was. Nevertheless, I ended up driving him a few miles uh, down the road. He wanted me to drop him off at a gas station. At the end of it, um, I was asking him questions. Uh, for instance, do you need a few bucks? Do you need a drink? Do you need some food? anything else I can help you with. And it was just such a unique opportunity that I'd never had 
to try to speak to someone face to face who did not speak back, either because he couldn't or chose not to. I, I don't know. But what a unique experience, one that I couldn't have had if I hadn't allowed myself to get out of a comfort zone and give this guy a ride. That that experience is going to be different for everyone, but I, I just think getting out of the comfort zone and looking for opportunities to communicate, commune, connect with other humans is kind of the first stage in, the first step in in mourning with those who mourn or even rejoicing with those who rejoice. Yeah, you know, that reminds me of an experience I had when I was teaching at downtown in Salt Lake City at a community college. And there was a man, I took the train and the bus to get there. I guess I took the train and walked. So I walked by the donut shop next to the building where the college had its uh, classrooms. And I'd see the same homeless man every morning with his coffee from the donut shop. And... You know, I, I don't remember if he even ever asked me for money. He just he just talked to me. He had he, he'd say good morning. He had his dog, um. But we, you know, I, I started talking to him. I'd see him every day, so I just started talking to him. And he told me one morning that his blanket was stolen. It was winter, and he sleeps outside, and it's cold. This is Salt Lake City, and so I just said, "Well, let me. I'll bring you a blanket." You know, I just brought him a blanket, and soon after that. You know, I heard about how his blanket was stolen again. I just, I found him another one. Um, but but I did take the time also. It, it wasn't just my point in bringing up the story. It wasn't just that I gave him a blanket. I just took a minute and I stopped and I listened to him and he shared with me the experience of having his blanket stolen. So it's not just my blanket stolen. Oh, okay, here's a blanket. Right? But he has this experience of his blanket is stolen and then he goes into all the other hardships you know, that he experiences in in the homeless community. And, the, and before you know it, he's talking about drugs and people getting killed. And, you know, who I don't know how many people are taking the time to listen. I don't, I don't go around listening to homeless people all the time. But in this case, you know, with this particular person that I saw every day, I felt to stop and listen. And if nothing else, I heard him. Do you think that's an example, Chris, of that kind of flow state that I was talking about before about awareness being something that is adaptable, vulnerable, shapeless, formless, that sort of thing. Maybe I'm getting a little uh, off base with that, but I, I was reading a quote by Richard Rohr and he said, to mourn is to touch directly the substance of divine compassion. And just as ice must melt before it can begin to flow, we too must become liquid before we can flow into the larger mind. And then he relates that to tears later on, tears flowing from your eyes and, and how that's kind of a classic spiritual way of doing this. But I, I, I kind of want to come back to this idea of, of flow state as a sort of awareness in the moment of what's going on around you, your surroundings and the opportunities that you have uh, all around you to mourn with those who mourn. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I have to say again, I don't. I don't stop and listen to every homeless person who uh, who I encounter who wants to talk to me. It helps, you know. I mean, I guess it it helped that I saw him every day. It helped that maybe I had a few minutes before I had to be at the building just next door to where he was standing to 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 lecture, you know, to teach my class. Um, I felt to listen to him, and I did. And and really, my question is. How many other opportunities like that one did I miss? 
And, and by the way, it's not just that he was heard. He was heard, and I, and I know from from having the experience of not feeling heard myself, and that's a common experience. I think we can all relate to that. You don't have to be homeless to feel that you're not heard. It happens all the time. I, I know that that for him to be heard was a gift, and it didn't cost me anything but but a minute of my time, right? But how, who knows how many other how many other experiences I'm missing? And sorry, but there, there's just one more thing. It's just how how did I um and what what did I get out of it too? Again, I think in recognizing in hearing my fellow man, a fellow human being, I get a sense of my own humanity. That's what I got. I think that there's a lot of potential for being uncomfortable. Yeah. And as humans, we always are trying to avoid being uncomfortable. We, sure. If we're cold in the office, man, I go straight to my th- thermostat and I turn it up. If I'm, <laughs> if the music is too loud, I turn it down. If my kids are too loud, I tell them to go in another room. You know, and so on and so forth. We're always seeking for that kind of stasis or comfort level where ah, I can just relax and breathe. And guilty as charged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, all of us. That's a human condition. Yeah. I'm trying to take my meditation practice to the next level such that as the the teacher that I learned from says, it doesn't have to be quiet for you to meditate. Really? I'm not sure if I'm there yet, but okay. <laughs> no, but you mentioned uh, earlier about just possibly doing the dishes and getting into a meditative state, right? Yeah. Before we started recording, I, I, I know that before I even learned about meditation, there are certain tasks that that I've learned, you know, that I had from my own experience gotten into something that now I recognize as a meditative state and and then I just sought for for whatever it was, didn't know what to call it. And those are especially for me, you know, hiking, just walking, but especially walking in, in nature, washing the dishes, ironing. I take I take advantage of opportunities to iron as opportunities to just pause and reflect. You know, same with the dishes. You 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 wash the dishes. You pause and reflect. And you know, I've list, I've I've listened to books while washing the dishes or podcasts, and it's not the same. It's not the same experience. We try to to make the most out of our time, and we end up cheating ourselves in some sense sometimes if we don't just take that moment to be present. Back to what you said earlier, to be present to what is. I'm washing the dishes. And I've read about this in, in many of the books of my favorite Buddhist monk, Thich Nhat Hanh. You know, when you're washing the dishes, wash the dishes. When you eat, when you're eating, eat. When you're walking, walk. And one of my favorite quotes from him, walk as, a, as though your, your feet are kissing the earth. That's presence. Yeah, I remember reading something from him as well where he discussed eating. And he said, with each, each time you chew a piece of food, you know, thinking about its its source and its nourishment that it's offering you and a sense of gratitude. I mean, that level of awareness and uh, being present is is amazing. I'm, I'm not there. Um, I want to come back to this idea of being uncomfortable, though. Can I just can I just add one thing though? I think if the listener will allow it, I'd like to offer the the opportunity for an experience of this. And again, this is from Thich Nhat Hanh. This is something I learned from him. Just take a minute now, right now, and notice your heart is beating. 
your heart beats 24-7, 365. You don't have to think about it. What a blessing, what a gift. That's life itself. And just take a minute and thank your heart. That's a practice that I've that I've incorporated. And I, you know, it's something that I haven't have not done in a while, so I'd like to take this opportunity to thank my heart for beating. What a gift. Let's let that sit for a second. Yeah. Good. I like that. It's a good moment. We need more of those, Chris. Yeah. So our shying away from the uncomfortable robs us of opportunities to mourn yeah. with those who mourn. And and what that entails, again, I, I don't think I've really put my finger on it. There's a sense in which it's not it's not only a gift to our fellow man, but it's a it's a gift we give ourselves, right? To to notice, to be present to what is in a fellow human being is a gift for both of us, right? For for us and for that other for that other person. And maybe that's because that other is in a sense we are that other is us. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? We, yeah, because yeah. it's that sense of separateness that causes us. That that I'm not sure it's true. It just doesn't really. I don't think it's true. It doesn't strike me as true that we're as separate as we think we are. And so, if we can open ourselves to the possibility that we are connected, that connection that's not obvious, that's not evident to us because we're not looking for it, can present itself in a powerful way. Throughout this discussion, I've been thinking about how mourning fits into the beatitudinal progression Mm -hmm. and how it's kind of that second step, right? So there's the first step is poverty of spirit, being poor in spirit, and that's been related to emptying of self in our own uh, ideas and thoughts and our priorities and all that stuff getting kind of pushed to the side. And it's almost like in order to, to mourn, we have to let go of that stuff. And there's there's the immediate mourning that comes from having to let go of things that we think are important to us. But it also gives us an opportunity in a positive sense to mourn with those who mourn because we're in that state of mind. We've let go. The letting go is complete. And now we're in the mode that we're able to now mourn with those who mourn. I love the description of Jesus that's, well, it's often... Uh, used to describe Jesus in Isaiah 53, 3, and it says, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. It, it makes me sad to think that his this characterized his life, but it's it's only sad because I'm used to thinking of sorrow and grief as pure negatives. Right. When in, re- when in reality, I mean, it's like part of the baptismal covenant that we're to mourn with those who mourn. In that In that covenant type of relationship, this is not a part-time job, right? Yeah, you get a sense that he's being more fully human than than we are. Right. out. Because he's present with sorrow and grief, not only his own, but that all the sorrow and grief he's surrounded with. He's not afraid of it. He's not running away from it the way at least I do. We all do, right? We all seek for comfort. And that's yeah. that's really my point is that if we can tear apart our attachment, and I think that's a good word for it, our attachment or our addiction to comfort, 
if we start to tear away those fibers and get used to being uncomfortable, I think the opportunities for recognizing mourning in others and being able to sit with them in that will present itself more often. I feel challenged to to make it a point since I, yeah, who knows who who's mourning, right? If, if I'm not present to who's mourning, if I'm not present, how would I know who's mourning? So I really feel challenged to put myself, what I can do, right? I cannot identify who's mourning unless and until I take this challenge, right? I can put myself in a position where I might feel a little uncomfortable and allow that opportunity to present itself to me. Well, and I think our initial reaction so often is when something challenges our paradigm is to fight back or defend ourselves and get defensive about things. And instead, if we were present to the suffering of another person, we might say, oh, wow, that person's going through something rather than just, you know, clapping back with some clever retort or whatever, or defending my position. Maybe I just need to recognize that that person's going through something. They had an experience or are having an experience that is uncomfortable for them and just recognizing that instead of looking for an opportunity to win some kind of argument, instead you're saying, oh, there's some pain there and I recognize it and I can be with them in their pain. And it doesn't take a lot sometimes. It's just listening. Yeah, I don't want to go into politics as, I'm, as I know you well enough to know you, you don't either. But there are these political issues, and actually, because we, because you and I shy away from politics more than we used to, we are actually more open to, and we have had experiences ourselves yes. of, of being able to to listen and hear what people are saying, whether or not we still agree or disagree with them, and we find ourselves actually able to agree more, maybe even agreeing with people who are saying two different contradictory things sometimes. Yeah. Agreeing with thine adversary while while thou art in the way, even that, yeah, and so or or, not, or recognizing that there really is no adversary, right? That's mm-hmm. what the you know the, the whole idea of loving your enemies is that there there are there are no enemies anymore when you love your enemies. That's you know, and I have not experienced that with 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 anyone you know trying with anyone who's really actually trying to aggress against me, maybe I've been able to experience that as, as I've grown and, and developed and matured spiritually and moved away from politics and closer to following Christ, who I don't think really had anything to do with politics, even though that may be controversial. Um, that's my, at least my understanding of, of who and what Jesus Christ was and is. You know, I've been able to to identify less with the other, with with others, different groups, as having anything really to do with with having anything against me, especially when you're talking about an abstract, an abstraction such as a group, right? There's no individual that I've ever experienced that's actually aggressing against me or even trying to. And so why would I have ever thought, I don't know why I would have ever thought um, any differently than I do now. And I guess the answer is, lack of actual awareness of what really is and what really isn't. Um, I just don't, as, I, as I've learned to listen and to be open to other points of view, I don't necessarily have to agree with them, but I don't feel, I don't feel as threatened by them. And this is one area where I think that I have 
been able to make some progress and where I can share. And I guess, I don't know if I'm being very concrete and it's, it's partially because I don't really want to go, go into anything political, but there are, there are those whose political views are different than ours or, or, well, that's it's politics, it's religion. It's what else is it we're not supposed to talk about? Is there one more thing? Politics and religion, right? Politics and religion or the tax. I don't know. Yeah. That, those are the big ones. Yeah, yeah. Politics and religion. And polite conversation. So, you know, those uh, those conversations, I'm more open to those conversations of whatever religious beliefs, whatever political beliefs others hold, don't threaten me. Mm. And that's always the reason not to have those is because you know where right. the majority of people are going to take that. But if you're kind of uh, neutral on those topics, yeah. or at least willing to put your own beliefs and whatnot to the side while you listen, then right. it's less threatening. At least yeah. to listen. And and why are, why is it going to go the way that you say you know it's going to go? It's because you know you're not going to hear them. They're not going to feel heard. And that's the problem, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's the problem. And a lot of times... People just want to be heard. People are suffering. And if if whatever they feel, and notice it's a feeling, right? Not a think. What not not what they think, but whatever they feel is hurting them. And and in whatever way they feel hurt, well, they really do feel hurt and they really do feel that is what is hurting them. To deny that, to not be willing to acknowledge that, is to fail to see them. And, and being able to admit that, meaning to admit that they feel that way and that they and that they feel that way because of the reason that they feel that way is to see them. And that's not to take their point of view, but it is to mourn with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, I, it brings to mind my favorite of all scriptures, and it's in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. And this is Jesus making... The, the great invitation, one that you can only make once your awareness is at such a level that you're already encountering people in their pain, in their mourning, in their particular situations, and yet you still have more room. Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest under your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And again, this is just another step in the beatitudinal progression from letting go, poverty of spirit, mourning with those who mourn. And now he's talking about meekness and lowliness of heart. Lowliness of heart brings to mind the stages of grief, of denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. It's at that level of acceptance of your grief, after you've gone through the mourning process of denial, anger, bargaining, depression, you've gone through the mourning and you've accepted it, you're at that level of meekness and lowliness of heart. And it's in that moment that you're open to what Jesus can give you. He can He can satiate your desire for hungering and thirsting after righteousness, for instance, or, or being healed at that point. I just love how that scripture fits in because not only is he aware in the moment of who might need him, but he's beckoning more people to come unto him. He can't get enough. Yeah. So I I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, grief specifically. I read a fantastic quote by a 
clinical social worker named Jennifer Stern, and it said, tears are the sweat of grief work. And it comes back again to that whole vulnerability, allowing ourselves to go through a grief process, put in the work of grief, and it helps to have a fellow traveler along the way, a shoulder to cry on, so to speak, to help you concretely address the issues that are causing you grief or mourning and be able to heal and get into that meekness, lowliness phase where you can be healed not only by the Savior, but just by the, the love of another person, friendship, whatever. There's a lot of physiological benefits that match up with the emotional benefits of of that grief work, of crying, for instance, with the stress hormones released through tears. I read something about oxytocin being released into the bloodstream and endorphins, pain blockers being uh, produced or stimulated as a result of crying. But again, it, it all comes back to a vulnerability and being aware in the moment of, of who might need this type of uh, communion or uh, fellowship. It's a better word, possibly. Yeah. You know, I feel to share an idea that came to me and in thinking about this topic and, you know, knowing that we're going to talk about this today, I felt impressed to share that mourning is something that we don't, we've talked a lot about being present to people and that's important and it's true. And, and yet there's another idea that, that occurred to me. I don't think that we actually have to be in the presence of those people who are mourning to mourn with them. We can be present to them without being in their actual physical presence. And that's important right now because for many, they can't be in the presence of loved ones that they would like to mourn with, even in the case of, of, of mourning the death of a loved one. And yet, you know, of course, we can talk on the phone and we can Skype and we can FaceTime and whatever other ways there are to, to share voice and video. But when it's, when it's, say, late at night, or, or how about most especially when we feel to, if, if the feeling just comes to you to reach out, of course, again, there's reaching out by telephone or whatever other means, but I think we can sit in silence wherever we are and we can reach out to others without video and without voice transmission it's not that different from prayer, right? We can just sit and we can send out those feelings, knowing that we're all connected through Christ, that we can actually transmit transmit without any any technology other than our will and the and and our spiritual awareness and and trusting our trust, our faith, our trust in God that we can actually share and we can actually mourn with those that mourn and share in their pain and, and have them feel that they're not alone. Yeah. Uh, last episode Shiloh and I did was on prayer and you said it's not much different than prayer. I, I, I completely agree. It's, it's not only much different from prayer. It is prayer. Um, one form of prayer that we talked about was petitionary prayer. 
And that puts you in the framework of thinking outside yourself and not about my own needs or selfish desires or unselfish desires uh, that might benefit me, but actually completely thinking about other people. And so the idea of petitionary prayer is is one that we discuss, and I think it's completely valid and productive. Yeah, and you know, I wasn't even I, I and I and I and I wouldn't I wouldn't invalidate that in any way. And yet I think I'm talking about something else. You know, I'm I'm thinking you can just sit and be present to someone, whether you would like to, you know, whether it's because you you're feeling love for them and we go back again to rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn. And I can't even think of a, a specific scenario. I don't know. You just can't. You just can't actually reach out by via any kind of technology for whatever reason, whatever reason that may be. Or it's not. Or it, maybe it's just not the way right now. Maybe right now, what you need to do is just to pause and be present to the reality of the presence of that person who is absent. As contradictory as that may seem, as paradoxical as that may seem, that you can be present to the presence of that person who is absent in a powerful way that somehow metaphysically affects them in the same way that in the way that you are mourning with them or rejoicing with them such that they can benefit from it and you can benefit from it in the same way that we've talked about being present to people who are actually sharing space with or some or some kind of uh, technological transmission of of whatever sort you know, just last week, this week, this past week, uh, the lights went out at my place for a few hours. And, you know, we're just not used to that. It's funny because I, I complain that in, in this modern world, as much as I love having my electricity, especially when I'm reading, the more light, the, the less likely I am to need uh, reading glasses. But I complain sometimes that it's just never quiet and it's never dark. There's always light from something, even if it's that little green light from the charger over there or the light from the street lamp outside you and i have talked riley you and i've talked about being out there and um away from the city lights and seeing all the stars and i've had the, the same experience in the middle of the ocean you know but it, it just we're not used to that and and i crave it in some sense and yet when it happens as an inconvenience right back to being comfortable i felt uncomfortable and in that moment in, in a way that's not literal, because I, I did get to talk to the person that I wanted to talk to. I felt to reach out to someone facing a, a dental decision. I'll call it a dental decision. I have this, this dental decision to make, and I didn't feel confident in making the decision on my own. And someone's, someone's name popped into my head. I thought I should talk to this person. And I, I called her up. And so I did talk to her. And so that kind of, that kind of connection is possible. And so we did have this technological connection. We are on the phone together, and yet that's not what it usually takes to have that kind of experience of, of the, the therapy that she was able to offer, which really amounted to, as far as I could tell, since I'm not really, I don't have access to whatever um, she knows. My experience of it, what I know is that she heard me and that she listened deeply and that she offered some advice and a lot of it was for for introspection it reminded me of when i when i talked to my wife who's a health coach 
or when I hear her talk to other people about health and her philosophy is the answers are within you. You know the answers. You just have to ask yourself, right? So you have to ask yourself like that question, where are you? Uh, who who are you? That's another question that Thomas Keating brings up in that book I mentioned. The second question is, who are you? And that's who are you in relationship to others? Those others we've been talking about, whoever they are. And so my wife says, you know, and, and again, let's take a minute. If the listener will allow it, ask yourself, what's the one thing of all the things that you could do to improve your health? What's the one thing that that you know, that maybe you didn't realize you know, but you do know this. What's the one thing that you should do first? What's the one thing that could really make a difference? Do you know what that is for you, Riley? Um, I would probably say it's just having a more consistent bedtime. There's the answer. You don't need, uh, you just saved yourself whatever my wife would bill you for. I, I t- she doesn't actually practice. She is a certified health coach. And, and I, I thought, how would you ever get paid? You don't, I mean, it's like us here in this podcast. We, I'm not your guru, right? We're not, <laughs> there's, there's nothing that we get out of this, but the opportunity to share our own experience and to deepen it through sharing it. Uh, if, if you have all the answers within you, all we can do is point you to yourself and we can mourn with ourselves too, right? That's another thing we haven't talked about yet. We can, because we, we, just like we can recognize and we can see our heart, we can also see our pain. We do tend to look away from that too, because that's uncomfortable. I can sit with myself and experience my pain instead of running from it. Again, whether it's in a meditative practice, whether it's through journaling, and just be present to it and be willing to mourn with myself. Which requires not a small amount of effort to get to the point where you're okay with that. It's it's not it's not as simple as just sitting there and being like, okay, I'm going to mourn now. What is yeah. it that prevents us from doing that? You know, a lot of times we build up walls internally, and that's why I brought up that quote: "Tears are the sweat of grief." Work. We have to almost allow ourselves to let those tears flow a little bit and uh, do the work. Which it means putting aside whatever is getting in the way of that, letting go, emptying out that first stage, poverty of spirit, letting whatever needs to be let go, go, so that you can get in the proper space to do that kind of grief work. It's difficult. Yeah. Well, I want to, uh, I, I always like to leave the listener with some sort of a challenge. And kind of with our conversation been running along the idea of awareness, being present to the reality of suffering or mourning that needs to happen with those around them, I'm going to uh, leave the listener with a challenge to whatever is getting in the way of your awareness, think about what that might be and try to lessen, reduce, or cut it out altogether so that what when you're doing whatever it is you're doing, whether it be washing the dishes or sitting at work or driving down the road, what gets in the way of you being more aware of your surroundings and to your present reality? What gets in the way of that? So you put me on the spot, Christopher, with the, you know, my health thing, the one thing that I could improve. What gets in the way of you being more aware? You know, I think for me, uh, uh, the first thing that comes to mind a lot of the time, it's just the 
it's intellectualizing it's it's the analytical it's the not just the monkey brain the monkey brain is one level of distraction right that, that you're always thinking about the past and the future and that, that that's none of that's present right um the what ifs and the if thens and all that but the but when it comes to being present to other people i think what gets in the way most for me is is realizing that this is not the time for logical and uh you know rational analytical thinking this is a time just to listen from the heart and by the way you know even again back to myself can i can i can i be that generous with myself that's a good start right i recently had the experience of of being challenged to to recognize my own feelings in in a way of just writing them down just stopping at random times throughout the day uh, this is something I did for, for a number of weeks and just to write down how I'm feeling. And these feelings are one word. You get, you get above and beyond. You might, you might want to challenge that. I did too, but they really are just one word. And if you get above and beyond one word, then now you're, you're explaining things, right? You just feel sad or you feel betrayed or you feel happy or you feel tired. It's one word. It's always one word. So just being, you know, noticing those those feelings in yourself might be good practice. Did I just say yourself? Noting those, continuing to notice those feelings in myself might be good practice for for noticing the feelings of others. I think that's oh, I why agree. I think that's why I, I was challenged that. to do that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's excellent practice. If you can recognize your own feelings in a present moment and be aware of what you're feeling, maybe even subconsciously, as you're talking about. Um, that's excellent practice, I think, for being more aware to your surroundings and other people around you. That's great. Shiloh, you've been quiet in the background. I think we're about ready to wrap up. Did you have any thoughts that you wanted to include? <laughs> I've just thoroughly enjoyed listening to you guys talk. That's just, it's been, it's been thoroughly enjoyable and I'm so excited for the future episodes that you guys are going to do. You know, there were, there were half dozen things that I thought about talking about, but I was like, no, nah, I just, I just want to listen to what you guys were saying and, and seeing how that built. And man, what a great conversation. Um, you know, just, just for the listeners, of course, I'll be over with, with, uh, with Ben, with the come follow me podcasts, but just thank everyone for, for listening, for supporting and to, for their continued support in going forward and in knowing how much, uh, appreciate that. And just the gratitude I have to, to the Lord for, these things and for the opportunities we have to come into these moments of awe and of wonder in, you know, you guys have talked a lot about mourning with others and with seeing the other people and with coming into that relationship with, and we need that so much nowadays, you know, COVID is one thing. It's really distracted and, and taken a lot of people apart Social media is something that's going to be there after COVID is gone, where we're more connected than ever, but more disconnected than ever at the same time. And we have so many beautiful opportunities of practicing connectedness with each other and to looking by and seeing past all of our grievances and disagreements with, with the other person, with the unknown other. You know, especially in our country right now, we have so many opportunities to otherize and to hate the other side and to villainize the other side. And that other side can be, the other side is always the other side. You know, if you go on one side, it's the other. If you go on the other side, it's the, it's going back again. And so 
We have so many opportunities to villainize, and yet the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't in any of that. And this, what a great conversation today to listen about these experiences that we have of just seeing what's present for us in that moment and then being able to connect with other people. And if someone is in pain, you know, my, my thing is I'm a fixer. If I see somebody else in pain, it's like, I'm going to go fix it. And I'm going to tell them what they did wrong so that they can fix it. And so you go and you fix these things. And it's taken me a long time to realize that when someone's in pain, a lot of times they don't need to be fixed. You know, I've used the analogy when I was in sales forever and door-to-door sales, you know, you come in at the end of the day, not having sold anything and everybody else has sold a bunch and you feel completely utterly worthless. And the only thing you're looking for is somebody else there who got a big zero as well, because somehow there's this camaraderie that there's, there's a, there's, there's a comfort in, in the pain and other people who are experiencing the same pain. And I think for me that that is really where I've gained the closest relationship with Jesus Christ that I've probably had in my entire life in recognizing that he suffers with me. A lot of the time we talk about the atonement in Gethsemane and the cross being this event that has happened. And in reality, there's this also this omnipresence of, of God being there right next to me through everything and suffering it with me. And so that I can turn to God and say, man, this, man, this moment really sucks. And having that moment when God turns back and says, yeah, it does. And to be like, wow, um, you know, there's no, there's no need to try to comfort. you know, whenever we see someone in pain, we want to comfort them. And that's kind of our human tendency. And like, uh, was it Riley, Christopher, which one of you said, you know, we, we don't like discomfort. We don't like those moments when we're not comfortable. And yeah. we don't like, we don't like seeing others in comfort when my kids are uncomfortable and my wife is uncomfortable and my friends are uncomfortable. I, I want to comfort them. And a lot of the times I've noticed that true comfort simply comes in just sitting with people while they're in their pain and just seeing them because there is so much healing that happens by just being seen. I can, I can testify to that. And that's because Shiloh has done it for me and nobody else knows that when Shiloh and I were alone and he was listening when I was in pain that meant so much to me Shiloh thank you so much I feel a real sense of mourning right now at uh, Shiloh you know leaving the leaving the show leaving the podcast at the same time that that I rejoice in my opportunity to be a part of it and I'm grateful to, to be able to be a part of it with Riley and I'm grateful to you, Shiloh, for allowing me the opportunity as, as I need this more than anyone. Well, I am very, very excited to see how you both are able to, to grow this. There, as we've talked about opportunities and ways to, to grow this, I am I'm so super excited. And it's going to be a great thing. We, we need more voices in this. And so the whole Latter-day Peace Studies movement in building this, we, need more, we needed more voices and the ability of just being able to to sit with these ideas and to and to create uh, a very strong community around this. So, thank you guys. I love you, Riley. I love you, Christopher. Thank you for being the man that you are, and and for everything that you do. I look forward to uh, the future. Well, it's been a pleasure to uh, do the past episodes with you and get to know more about you personally and your experiences. It's been a joy for me. So I want to thank you for that. Um, I just want to do real quick an invitation to our listeners. 
reach out to us uh, on Latter-day Peace Studies page on Facebook or on Instagram. If you know us personally or you want to look us up on Facebook, friend request, whatever, that's fine. We'll take uh, personal messages, DMs, whatever, so that you can have some input on the future direction of our show. More than anything, we want this to be interactive and a community. So please let us know your thoughts about this podcast, past podcast episodes, or if you have some ideas for things you'd love to hear in future episodes. All those contributions are welcome, and we would love to hear from you. We want this to grow. We want to see a contemplative tradition within our uh, faith tradition continue to grow and develop. And, and so we need your voices and we need your ears. So we ask for your help in that. And uh, it's been a pleasure, Christopher. I look forward to more Likewise, Riley. wonderful conversations. Same here. Well, Shiloh, that's all I've got. Do you want to close us? Well, for everyone, thank you for listening. And until next time. I'm signing off. I'm Shiloh Logan. I'm Riley Risto. I'm Christopher Hurtado. Thank you, everybody, for listening. <laughs>